0: Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD. Countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hello everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. It is our favorite time of year over at Development Hell, that's right, it's October, which means it's officially spooky season, which basically means it's 31 days of Halloween, and you know, I think it was really important for us to celebrate that and to observe that properly this year, because last year we didn't, and it felt wrong, and it just, it didn't feel right. Now you might remember two years ago, the debut of our first miniseries, Halloween, is canceled where we uncovered I think five different unmade Halloween sequels and you all loved it I loved it and so now it's time for us to do a sequel series so welcome to the very first episode of Halloween is canceled so what are we doing we're doing the same thing we're gonna be unearthing about five different unmade Michael Myers movies the more outrageous the better and we're gonna be doing so every Tuesday of the month for October just so you could feel spooky just so you can get into you know the pumpkin spice of it all and i just want to be a part of that for you guys you know i want to be i want to be a part of your season okay so we're gonna get right into it because why not the very first topic today is halloween 2 Yes, Halloween 2 exists. Actually, Halloween 2 exists three times because there was Halloween 2 and then there was Halloween 2 of Rob Zombie. Then there was Halloween 2 of David Gordon Green. Today, we're talking about the alternative universe of Halloween 2, which was going to be in place of the 1981 original that we got with Jamie Lee Curtis. So John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were actually thinking of going in a couple of different directions for the Michael Myers first sequel And the one that I'm most interested in is the one that takes place in a high-rise apartment complex. So we're going to be calling this episode Halloween High-Rise because I think that sounds kind of cool. Okay, so the most exciting part of today's episode, I would say, is our very, very wonderful, knowledgeable, powerful returning guest judge, Jules. Bruin. Now, you may remember Jules Bruin from being on a number of episodes, including our Cheapers Creepers Unseen miniseries, Jaws 3 People Zero, and The Crooked Man. Jules, how's it going?
2: What an intro. Thank you so much. Happy spooky season to you.
1: So happy spooky season to you too. Have you begun the observations of spooks?
2: I have. I uh, yesterday wore my Halloween leggings. I'm, I'm fully ready. I, I'm mm-hmm. going to buy a pumpkin probably <sighs> this evening and oh my God, oh get my it God. going. I know you already have your pumpkins. I have I some
1: have- pumpkins. Yeah, they are beautiful.
2: So you, you, you beat me. But wow, yeah.
1: I've beaten you once and again and for all. You know, you're very interesting in terms of your pedigree and how it relates to what we talk about sometimes. <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? What's your whole deal?
2: Yeah, so I am a therapist, I guess. I'm a trauma-informed counsellor based in Toronto. I specialize in trauma, mental health. I mean, I've always loved Halloween and I'm just Josh is my best friend, so I've been around horror for a very long time. But I kind of come in with a therapy lens whenever I watch horror, which I know sometimes drives Josh crazy.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. I'm
2: like that's so traumatic, and he's like, "We're watching a freaking slasher movie." But anyway,
1: yeah, <laughs> so true. You're like, yeah. think of the long-term implications of like the kid that saw it happen three blocks away, and I'm like, I wow.
2: do, I do. I'm like the that kids... poor woman on the phone.
1: Like... <laughs> yeah, that was true. I think if we were watching Halloween too, and like some girl was hearing her friend die on the phone, and she's like that woman on the phone is not gonna be okay, and I was like, I don't think she's real. Die. I was like, You're I not think... worried about the girl that just got her throat slit I'm up. Worried oh, about um, but yeah, we're having Jules back a because we love her, but b because Jules, unlike most people in this world, is a true Halloween head, and I don't just mean the Halloween franchise, which she does love, I do, but. I'm talking about Halloween the season.
2: Yeah, so anything Halloween related, I think I just I love to devour and it fills my heart with love. Happiness.
1: Yum yum yum. The references for information for today's episode coming from different Fangoria releases, and we'll talk a little bit more about that down the line. And Jules, I know you love the Michael Myers Halloween franchise. Mm-hmm. What what makes it special to you?
2: I mean, it's just so Halloween-ish. Also, the first film is just perfect. It, other than it's like beautiful, airy, creepy, you know, it's tense. It's all these things. And I think everyone's always trying to get there. A lot of the Halloween franchises since are so silly. And that makes them amazing and easy to watch, fun and campy. I know we always debate what camp is, but, you know, I think no one could debate. Yeah, this one, franchise is just... A one problem. of
1: my favorite parts of my job here at Dread Central is sometimes I get to see movies ahead of time. Hmm. And I was lucky with both Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends to get, you know, into early screenings. And I brought Jules with me every time, which I will say made them more, (laughs) (laughs) made them more, you know, enjoyable
2: i scream a lot in theaters uh so i you know i i get into it so i there was a lot of me screaming
1: yeah but. i mean not so much on halloween ends but we don't need to go there
2: Oof, what a what a disappointment it's halloween, polarizing but. jules
1: be careful people sorry. might say a la la la
2: but yeah. i loved halloween kills
1: i know me too
2: i loved that one anyway.
1: people hate it though it's you know so
2: weird they're wrong it's
1: a fickle fickle kingdom it's a fickle I mean, yes, little sorry. kingdom.
2: i don't want to i don't want to cause <laughs> animosity at the beginning of this podcast so that's
1: <laughs> wow all right. Well, Jules, do you think I could give us a little bit of a seminar on the original please? Halloween part two? Yes, please. Halloween two was actually made, of course, after the success of the original 1978 Halloween film directed by John Carpenter. So come 1981, we got an other installment starring Michael Myers, this time not directed by John Carpenter, but directed by Rick Rosenthal. And this is the first time this man ever actually directed a film on his own. The movie itself, though, was in fact written and produced by both John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who is also so important to the original film and making the franchise what it is that we have today. Uh, Halloween 2 also stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasant, reprising their roles from the first film. Uh, and it starts off immediately where the first film ends, as Michael sort of continues his havoc through Haddonfield. And Laurie Strode is sort of taken directly to the hospital to sort of address her wounds and her trauma and all that. No one believes her, but she's certain Michael is going to follow her there. And spoiler alert, yes, he does. And there is mayhem and not any prosperity in this hospital. This movie, I guess, kind of got mixed reviews on release. And I still actually think in terms of fan response, there is mixed reviews, although I really like it myself. Uh, It made a lot of money. It made about $25 million just on this side of the pond, which, of course, led it to spawning a bunch of other sequels, including Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which I believe was only released about one year later. But this story itself was followed by Halloween 4, or the return of Michael Myers, and it took until 1988 for that to come out. So I would say, okay, do you think I did a good job in terms of like sort of summarizing what's going on in the world of Halloween? Duh.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: I love that. Um, What was our first experiences with halloween too,
2: i you always told me it was your favorite i was really pumped for it i still i love it i love dr loomis so i love (laughs) that he's so in this movie (laughs) yeah there's nothing i like more than a therapist that can be a bad therapist (gasps) fun for me to watch oh was
1: he a bad therapist
2: i mean i don't know i don't think he's great no he's like (laughs) i was obsessed with him and now i think he's evil i'm like i don't know if that's the boundaries there but you know uh, <laughs>
1: that's not how you would approach michael myers if he was well, your client
2: you know it's bad though i'd probably be like he's great that's good in everyone so maybe i'm the problem too um mm-hmm. but you are uh, yeah you know um but fun i love it all being in one i mean i i even think the first movie it all being in a small town is is, is scary and there's something really small and you know cramped about that and then to go to a hostel it's even smaller it's even like more tense yes. I, I love that i love
1: yeah that. the contained element you know both these movies but especially part two is really fun and it really like hmm, brings on the challenge for the filmmakers to like make it work in a tight space and i don't know i think that that can really work i also love the hospital setting because i mean there's really nothing scarier than a hospital in so many ways and i think we all have some kind of relationship and negative relationship with what it's like to be in or near a hospital so capitalizing off of that for this movie I think is really fun and cool I mean one of the things that scared me most growing up was the hospital episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer hospitals are scary
2: they're also a mix of of scary and hopeful because it's like you feel like you might be safe but also you might die so it's like this duality of two finally safe or you might die I feel like hospitals Bring this automatic Mm -hmm. tension and pressure, and yeah. So I think hospitals are really great. They have this this duality that we we are we might feel safe and like we're taking care of, but we also feel scared, like people die here, in this place is like death and the fear of that. So I think going into a hospital is it brings up all these emotions for us, and we've all had all those emotions. So automatically, it's evoked whenever we see something set in a hospital.
1: You're seeing a little bit of the jasification of Michael Myers in this movie already. Like he is getting more violent. He is upping, as you said, the kill count. He is not taking his time and crawling around like a slinky inky spider. He's uh, just like on the move.
2: I also like, you don't know that he's so supernatural in the first one. And then in the second one, it's like, this man is not a human. They really want you to know that. In the first one, yes, it's a super 'cause he- no, I feel like he's
1: still a little bit human in Halloween too. Like it's it gets much more
2: Oh yeah I mean yeah
1: Down the line as you know yeah. it gets a little bit more explicit Yeah but this one he's doing some crazy stuff Like his super strength Is on full display Um, He's only 21
2: Yeah I, I was surprised I always forget it was- It's always surprising 21 like he feels so old mm-hmm. Like he feels you know But yeah
1: Which I like because you know he isn't a person He is just evil He's the mm-hmm. shape
2: He is the darkness within all of us
1: yeah he was a bad therapist
2: he wasn't good but i loved i would love to talk to dr loomis and shout it out
1: yeah he's dead
2: oh i'm sorry that's a bummer Mm,
1: yeah like irl
2: yeah yeah i assumed that i mean
1: and did he die in the movie i don't think he did but i could be wrong please don't leave a negative review i don't know uh so here's an interesting thing that is also very divisive which is the introduction of the sibling plot line. So I'm seeing or learning that Michael is in fact like related to Lori, and that he's, you know, after sort of eliminating his own bloodline, Sam Hain written in blood on the wall, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, It's such a huge part of the lore in the fandom that like, you know, I think for a long time was taken quite seriously and then was sort of retcon completely in the david gordon green movies um i forget exactly what happened with him in in h2o if he was still siblings or not i'm not sure yes he
2: was, yeah. yeah he was yeah um
1: but yeah so this is something that i think a lot of people really like but also something that a lot of people feel like overcomplicated this mythology and sort of took it down a messier less interesting path than just the idea of a babysitter stalker.
2: Uh, that's my feeling about it. I, I actually never thought the sister element was needed. I think it felt, yeah, it felt sort of put in, like, overcomplicated. Like, I just, like, he's evil. He's killing, you know, this innocence, which is, like, the babysitter. Like, I, I just think it needs to be that. And, like, Laurie got away, and he wants to kill Lori because she got away. You know, it doesn't need to be bloodline, but maybe that's just me. I don't know.
1: Hmm. I want to talk about the kills in this movie Because there's some really good ones So the opening The the version that we watched Has the opening se- segment with young Annie And um, it starts with I, I'm sorry everybody But like an, an older couple And you're worried that they're going to be murdered by Michael But instead he just takes their knife And leaves a little bit of blood And then he moves on to another Young sort of teen and um, she's the one that was on the phone with her friend, learning that, you know, the murders occurred just down the street from her, not sure what happened to the culprit. And while she's on the phone, she gets cut up in the throat and it's unpleasant. That's so um, scary. So I would say this is like the most in line with the heart of the series that You know, this film ever gets to. It's the most Halloween 1978 in terms of scares and vibes and even violence because you don't see the direct implications completely, but
2: it also is so that fear that everyone has you know when you're like oh my god there's a shooting right down my street Mm -hmm. you know down the street from me and that doesn't usually nothing comes from that but that something would then come from that and it would come to your house yeah there's some oh that's like a fear we all have and i i love that they evoked that in this beginning because then you're like oh right we're in this small town nobody's safe
1: would you say it's one of the scarier kills in the film
2: to me, it's the scariest kill in the film, I think. Uh-huh. Um, there are grosser, worst ones, but I think this is the one that kind of gets me in the way that uh, that I like. Yeah, yeah, that- I would agree.
1: You know, it really feels like this could have been an outtake from the first film.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, So after her death, we do get the death of... Ben Kramer, like the teenager dressed up as Michael Myers that burns to death. But I think we can surpass him and talk about the security guard who gets it. I believe, in my memory, he got it in the back of the head with the front of the hammer. But rewatching it, it does seem like I got that backwards. And oh, right.
2: The security guard.
1: Yeah. So in my memory, you got to what, but you know, in actuality, yes, it's the front of the head with the back of the hammer. Both bad options.
2: I think front of the head back of the hammer is grosser
1: because it's more of a crush than it is a impale
2: it's more of an impale because the back of a hammer is like two oh, oh i see
1: the way that it happened is grosser yeah, yeah
2: it's grosser yeah
1: but i feel like the other way might actually be more painful
2: uh, it's hard to know you well, know what
1: we're, we okay. should find out
2: which would be more painful i think that's a really hard thing to, to figure out
1: no it's not
2: oh we're gonna do it you're gonna do it <laughs>
1: <laughs> um you know but in the meantime yeah, that death was was uncomfortable. There's the hot young couple who decide to take a little hot tub together, a little hot tub action. I remember this death really messing with my head as a kid. You know, when you get that psychosexual fantasy a little bit sort of crosswired with terrifying violence as a kid, that like it can really get to you.
2: It's and, like the Jean Le Joie. Song. Why would
1: you have to call out everything that I do? You know? Let it just be my own beautiful thought. Hey, not a good guy. No. Actually, what would you say? You say evil doesn't exist. I don't only believe in evil. trauma.
2: He is—he's severely traumatized. I don't believe in evil. That being said, he's not a person, so maybe it's
1: different. But... <laughs> Another standout is—I always thought it was a needle to the eyeball because I was always too scared to look directly. But yeah, this time I—I I took a braver observation. And it wasn't quite a needle to the eye. What was going on here?
2: It was a needle directly in the brain. I don't know what the liquid was, but it was a needle directly in the brain.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. The the syringe filled them up. So something got shot into the brain. Michael did not know what liquid that was either.
2: I don't think he knew. He's not a scientist.
1: That a person just becomes like a superhuman, like, super brain.
2: <laughs> All of a sudden, they're like, like I the know how cycles. to
1: defeat you. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: yeah,
1: Well, um, and then I could be wrong. But I feel like the most iconic death in this film would be when the nurse is stabbed in the back with a tiny little scalpel, lifted to high heaven, and, um, yeah, dies. What do you think about that one?
2: It's so, I mean, it wouldn't work. It's unrealistic, but boy, was it beautiful. (laughs) yeah it was a great it's just a great scene it's a great death while laurie's watching it's like it's perfect um mm-hmm. also very you know halloween it, it gives all those vibes but yeah i mean like it's it's not that scary because it's not very logical and you know i love logic and horror movies mm-hmm. um which is an annoying thing about me um, you don't but, think there's a
1: single world where someone with well, someone with superhuman strength could achieve that
2: i just don't know that they would Die Dinos- Maybe you're right. Maybe. I don't know. I know.
1: I hate when people get like like scraped with a knife and just immediately die.
2: It would be more deathy if dragged down her body and she felt like you know what I mean. But we wouldn't get that amazing shoe moment.
1: So I would say that those are my favorite deaths in the film. Michael Myers not included. Some pretty cool explosions. We also touch a little bit on like the mystical lore of Michael Myers for the first time in this film. We get a little bit of background on Sam Hain. This is movies and movies before we touch into the thorn cult of it all. So as someone who's maybe less versed in the later uh, chapters of the Halloween movies, how did the Sam Samhain lore stuff sort of rub you?
2: I liked it. I, I, I'm fine with that. I love Halloween history. I love a reason, especially Michael is one that I'm sometimes like, why is he just, ooh, it's Celtic, you know? <laughs> like, I'm kind of into it. I
1: agree. I agree. Even though it may be a little bit half-assed.
2: Absolutely. And I think there were party like, they're just added in, and you're like, what? How are
1: the performances? I
2: mean, Laurie's amazing. Um, Julie Curtis is a god, but that wig is uh, a nightmare. But yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like, if you were a kid you would have clocked it or do you think it's because our post drag no, race no
2: it's because of yeah i think post drag race post also like being a, a femme presenting woman like it's so clearly not hair um but i think i think as a kid no i know you don't notice at all you're
1: I just think like i did honestly oh really? i don't know if i knew it was a wig but i knew something was not right
2: yeah that makes sense
1: but i would say as a kid when i was stupid young and didn't know better. That I preferred Halloween two to Halloween one.
2: Yeah, I I I get it. I think Halloween two again. It's more. It's more action packed. Yeah, it's, more-
1: it's better. It's like more kid. I, you, I don't think you can really, or I think a lot of people have a harder time really getting and grasping and understanding the power of the first film because it's so subtle and quiet and beautiful. You know, it's not Marvel nonsense at all, which the yeah. second one has a little bit of
2: there's only three deaths i think in the first one am i something like three three or four and uh sorry people don't get mad in line slasher movies now are like crazy numbers you know on a first kill alone you might get five so um Mm
1: -hmm. and remember it was one of the first of its kind too so like the algorithm was not
2: yeah it wasn't set wasn't set. Um, so you know the second film having way more kills makes it You know, in some way, if I was a kid, I would have been more scared of this one.
1: Well, I'm scared of you. I'm not scared of anything. I'm big and you're small. I'm right, you're wrong, yeah. Okay, well, I would say that sums up my feelings, my emotions, my connections with Halloween 2. How about you?
2: Yeah, let's talk about what it could have been. Well, before we do that, I just kind
1: of tiptoe through the tulips for a quick second second. And for like three literal seconds talk about the other halloween 2 rob zombie's halloween 2 from 2009 jules have you seen this movie
2: i did not see either rob zombie films why I, uh so i don't love torture type movies i don't love that kind of genre of of horror and so you know i've seen House of the corpses i've seen double rejects and i I, they're just not for me so i wasn't um i didn't want his versions of halloween to kind of ruin my halloween moments so i did I, i didn't see them
1: yeah i think that a lot of fans would probably say that you made the right choice um rob zombie in my opinion is someone who oscillates between making quite fun and good spooky nonsense to someone that makes complete garbage um and i think these halloween movies are sort of leaning more towards the negative end of the spectrum although there was a bit of a renaissance for halloween 2 online maybe a few years ago where people were starting to appreciate it a little bit more and more And if you know me, then you know I was always a disruptor, and I was always someone ringing the bell saying Halloween 2 was better than Halloween 1 in terms of the Rob Zombie movies. Now, I did usually just say it to get a rise out of people, but yeah, I think a part of me always did believe that there's some truth to it. There's a fan out there that made like a super cut or a super edit where they remove all of Michael Myers's like mother in a white dress and the white horse segments out and just sort of made it more. you know, make it make a little bit more sense. And I could see that actually being a fun film. I like what they did with the homage to hospital horror in that movie. I think it's pretty scary and kind of dreamy. Um, So I don't think Halloween 2, the second Halloween 2, is necessarily worth being written off completely. But it is, of course, in no way in the realm of this film.
2: Yeah, I I can't imagine, you know, Rob Zombie having a similar soft touch that John Carpenter had.
1: <laughs> so, as you were mentioning, the reason that we're here today is to dig into the alternative history of Halloween 2, when Halloween 2 was nearly set in a high-rise apartment complex. Jules, do you think you'd be okay if I gave a bit of a seminar of what could have been?
2: I would love to be part of the seminar.
1: Okay, get your notebook out. So I think it dates back to Fangoria number seven. Um, and there was a note in that one that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were indeed starting to develop Halloween 2. Um, although that the plot that they were discussing in this in this magazine segment was nothing like what we would eventually get with the film. Uh, it described Halloween 2 as being set taking place like quite a bit of time after the events of the original. And so as obviously the, what we got is takes place immediately after the events of the original. So they were going to sort of go in the opposite direction, have it take place further down the line with um, a Laurie Strode who would be coming back, but now she's like hyper safety conscious, like paranoid, very cautious and she's living now in a high-rise apartment complex with a very um, sort of high-tech and, you know, high-paid security setup. Um, this is, I guess, sort of like what we're seeing with Laurie Strode later on in Halloween 2018, where she, like, you know, lives in a booby-trapped, you know, hut in the woods. But this is sort of taking that in a little classier upward mo- mobile direction. Um. Yeah, so we were going to get a film about Laurie Strode. She's now super, super nervous, super, super paranoid, living in this high-tech, high-rise apartment complex to make sure she's as safe as she can possibly be. Um. At that time, Deborah Hill also confirmed that this was going to be the idea for the next film, and they were also toying with other ways of getting Michael Myers back in, but they were thinking really strongly about shooting this in 3D. Of course, eventually, we were going to see another failed um, Halloween 3D film with um, Patrick Lussier and Todd Farmer concocting Halloween 3D, and you could hear our episode about that if you look back into our feed. Uh, I think it would have been the sequel to the Rob Zombie films actually, that never happened. But Halloween 2, was also potentially being developed as a 3D project. Uh, It was definitely reported that we would get Loomis returning, Donald Pleasance would be reprising his role, and I do believe Laurie Strode would be reprised as well by Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, Now, I think something in the article that is of note is that no one was clear if Pleasance, or sorry, if Dr. Loomis was actually himself going to be living in the apartment complex or if he was just going to sort of show up in order to save our hero. Something that's, I think, really important to discuss is the similarities between this concept for a Halloween film and another film that John Carpenter created, uh, I think, in the late 1970s. So he created a television horror movie, so it didn't go to theaters, titled Someone's Watching Me. Which I think gets a lot of uh, comparisons to Rear Window. And it was about this woman who is stalked by, you know, a madman in a high rise uh, apartment complex. So I don't know what you think, Jules, but it definitely sounds to me like there was going to be an evolution of that idea.
2: Yeah. They <laughs> yeah. sound very similar.
1: <laughs> they do. Another very interesting tidbit. Was, you know, who was going to direct Halloween 2? Now, we know that Rick Rosenthal eventually did take on the mantle of director for the sequel that was, in fact, made. But there was another person who was approached to potentially take on the helm. And that was... We talked about Deborah Hill a few times. She's sort of this unsung hero in the world of Halloween. She wrote... And produced on those first two films. And a lot of people believe she had a lot to do with why they came out the way they did. Why they had sort of this sort of teenage girl naturalism in the way that really helped make the film succeed. And I think for you know obvious reasons, history has sort of forgotten about her. And has really celebrated John Carpenter, who deserves every celebration he gets. But I think Deborah Hill deserves more. But... She was actually asked to direct Halloween 2 when we knew that John Carpenter sort of had passed it up for other reasons. So in Fangoria number 15, she expanded on why she didn't agree to this. So she said, I didn't really want to start with a sequel to a John Carpenter film. I'd like to start with an original. Um, Yeah, and I think also the editor from the first film, Tommy Lee Wallace was approached by John Carpenter and Hill to direct. He didn't do it, but he would go on to direct Halloween Part 3. So, a couple of interesting things going on here. We have another contained space, this time a high-rise apartment complex. We have sort of this evolution of another John Carpenter slasher, stalker film. Um, Someone's watching me. And we have a few different kind of interesting people approach to sort of take on the mantle of director, including Deborah Hill and Tommy Lee Wallace. So I guess, Jules, what do you think of this? Do you think that this would have worked as well as a hospital setting?
2: I love the idea of it being an apartment complex. I um, I really liked the the Laurie Strode being paranoid and being really safety focused in the new the newer Halloween movies as a exactly um, something less less yeah tight about it less um you know when we think about urban cities that's where people think oh that they're, they're dangerous anyways but suburban <laughs> horror is more like ooh this is where bad things shouldn't happen
1: yeah but it's also like where it's quiet and alone yeah like other kinds of bad things happen in a in a in a city or an urban setting but you're never far away from being able to call for help or Mm -hmm. someone witnessing it or something like that but if you encounter the wrong person in the middle of nowhere you're kind of shit out of luck totally which i love i grew up in a pretty spooky high rise apartment complex and i think it kind of like left quite an impression on me creatively over the years do you remember um do you remember that place at all?
2: I do. I totally remember that place.
1: Do you want to describe it?
2: It was actually a beautiful apartment. Okay. It was big. It was large. I mean, were the hallways scary? All apartments. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't way. mean by the
1: apartment itself, but like, what was like the property like?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, it was North York, Toronto, which I don't know if people know this because they're listening from all over, but it's sort of it's sort of suburby. It's but it's not. It's weird. And so yeah. the hallways were spooky and gray and. Weird, mm-hmm. and you know, like you just you always—it's it's sort of like being in an elevator. Like it's unsettling. You don't feel relaxed and calm until you get into a unit, and then it's like, whew, you're okay." There's something sort of like you want to run through it to mm-hmm. get to the to the safety.
1: I mean, we're saying it again. It's a liminal horror.
2: It's liminal, man, and I—I I think the words are used, but I—it is. It is what it is. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I always kind of was fascinated by the spookiness of like a. Kind of an older apartment building and i could definitely see a horror movie really succeeding in a high-rise setting do you remember when i was in like i don't know my first year of like grad program where i had an idea for a high-rise horror movie okay so i had this concept that i wanted to do with my friends in school called stairwell where a bunch of young people like they get home after like a long night partying and the elevator is out so they're forced to take the stairs up like fifteen flights um and then they sort of realize that someone has locked them in the stairwell, so they can go up and they can go down, but that's all they've got, and they get stalked sort of down one by one by
2: I by the killers yeah. Not pending don't just give this away for
1: free. I know it's not bad stairwell, and then I think Great. one of the floors would be open, and they would like have access to spooky Oogies. but
2: it's. Super scary. I mean, the stairway in apartment buildings are so scary. I, I was in an ap- I was in a low rise. I lived in a low rise for a little while, and there was no elevator. It was just stairways, and it was scary. And when you pass by people, like we all look down, like it's a weird feeling.
1: Yeah, it's unpleasant, unfriendly, and unsanitary.
2: It is unsanitary.
1: <laughs> Do you think that there's a world where maybe we'll ever get to see a Halloween film in a high-rise setting?
2: I would love that but maybe i'm wrong i mean i'm not a creative type i i would go i would watch it but i there's something about the 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 confined space of it that i don't think people would want to do but what do you think
1: oh i don't know i don't think this franchise is the right one but as you were saying earlier with evil dead rise like that's perfect it was like great. that's a great one Although, you know, everyone, I think I would have argued the same thing, that Evil Dead belongs in the woods and that's the vibe, just like I'm arguing that now with the suburbs and Halloween. And, you know, maybe there's something there if you just do it right.
2: But I think, you know, where Evil Dead Rise really worked was like how they were all trapped in their cabin. Now they're all trapped on the floor. So I think that was uh, still they were able to make it small um, without, I don't know, but maybe I'm just rambling now.
1: <laughs> What's another, like, contained setting that a Halloween movie could benefit from?
2: Hmm, that's a great question. A contained setting. Well, like, I mean, there's, like, a school or, mm-hmm. like... um,
1: Which they kind of did with Halloween H2O.
2: Oh, that's true. They did. They did do that. Um, yeah, like, cabins are so that, like... Island, like there's, you know, whenever it's like you can't get out.
1: You island. like a like I still know what you did last summer.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that movie did not hold up. That was that was no,
1: but I like it. Um, I
2: did. I mean, I was so excited we we rewatched it in the theaters recently, uh-huh. and um, it was it wasn't as good as I remembered it being.
1: <laughs> no, but um, grateful for Sharna. Um,
2: yeah, um, yeah. I'm
1: t- I don't know if there's like a contain yeah a hospital they've done that would be great a high rise would be cool um maybe like a shopping mall
2: yeah yeah absolutely
1: maybe like a shopping mall shut down after dark or like a department store shut down after dark or like um ooh like a you know one of those like like airport hotels like those liminal kind of like Salmon painted hotels,
2: yeah, like a Best
1: Western or something that's like snowed in.
2: Well, it's like a motel. That's yeah, like um, yeah, yeah. yeah. right, like that. That very that. Um, I think what's different about a shopping mall is there's something more. I don't know, like um, it's not as like close to home or something. It's not as lived intimate intimate so it's for some reason that's less scary for yep. me you know being trapped in a mall absolutely has its own thing and there's like been lots of cool horror movies and slasher movies in that but I, I don't think it has that same evoking power as a thing like a, an apartment complex or a hospital or a cabin right mm-hmm. which is like which is this kind of like the safety mixed with the danger which mm-hmm. I think is, much, which is better in those other places whereas a mall is not that, as much
1: there uh, like another canceled halloween movie halloween retribution had a large section of it taking place in an abandoned like asylum
2: oh yeah i think that would be fun of fun yeah, I mean, that's always scary and fun. I mean, I don't love the horrification of yeah. people with mental illness, but I won't get into that. That's well, then why. you shouldn't
1: like this franchise. So.
2: I know. Well, that's why I said Dr. Loomis is the worst. Oh, yeah. um, but again, I, I tell myself that um, Michael is not human. So no. it's not that he has a mental illness. It's that he is like not a human entity. Um, this, he is evil incarnate.
1: He is evil incarnate. And on that note, Jules, thank you for joining me on this episode. It was so fun. Where can people find you on the internet? What are you up to?
2: Yeah, I mean, you can find me if you want to. I'm at Jules Rules Your World on Instagram, (laughs) or I also host Trivia, Trivial Bitch, but it's all in Toronto. I don't know if you want to follow me, but you can find me. Um, But I'm also, uh, you know, a Toronto-based counselor, so you can find me on Psychology Today.
1: I love that. Well, thank you, Jules. Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.